So I do think it's the responsibility of the team to to sometimes just take ownership and say like, no, no, like maybe the reason we're struggling so hard to keep this alive is that this shouldn't exist. Welcome to the Wicked Hard Decisions podcast. I'm Jay, your host. Our guest today is Sachajit Salgar, a product leader at Google. We'll be talking about Google+, how they launched games on the platform, how they decided to shut it down, and the leadership lessons Sachajit learned along the way. Let's jump in. Hi, Sachajit, and welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you. Just to get started, we'd love to hear more about your background and current role. I work at Google. I'm a product manager on search team. Uh, I manage the team that works on media. So this is people that are searching for TV, movies, music, books, games, things of that sort, as well as uh, I manage the team that works on Delight. So this is uh, Google Doodles, Easter eggs, anything that sort of, we think of things that try to like create positive emotions uh, on search. Awesome. And I was wondering if you'd tell me a little bit more about how you first got into the product. So... Product was somewhat accidental for me. Like it, I think it, it was a very, very happy accident. But but my first job was uh, an engineer out of grad school, and the, I, I worked at a startup. And the company didn't have uh, any product manager. So so literally, as I was leaving the company, uh, I remember we hired our first PM, and I was like, oh, that's what is that job? And you know, what does that involve? I had a, a summer internship in consulting. Realized I want to go back to tech. And as I was interviewing with different companies, like, like the, the product manager job came up, but I was like, oh, this might end up getting at Google was was uh, in partnerships. And they made me the offer and I was like, oh, you know, this is, this is Google. I definitely want to, I, I want to be there. Uh, I ended up joining and I ended up having a really great experience in that role. But as part of that, you know, I worked with a lot of product managers and I realized given my skill sets and given the things uh, that I care about, product was probably a better fit for me uh, working within within Google. So about a year and a half, two years in, I, I made the switch to product management. Uh, and so that was, but that was a while ago. That's been almost 11 and a little bit more uh, years ago now. Well, congrats on the hitting the 11 year mark. So, you know, in those 11 years, I'm sure you've made a lot of really tough decisions. I was wondering if there were a few that you could speak to today. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to. So there, there's a few that sort of popped in my mind. The one that I really want to start with that I thought was interesting, some stuff that we did around Google Plus games. And, and that's the one I'd, I'd love to talk about. Yeah, sounds great. Before we jump into games, I was wondering if you could share a quick recap of Google Plus itself and how you joined the team. Google Plus at the time was, you know, at the time, it felt like a huge strategic bet for Google. It was, it was the idea that like it was basically reacting to the mindshare that Facebook was taking and and this notion that, hey, if if the future of information is going to be social, what is Google's strategy there? And Google Plus was a social network uh, that, you know, that Google built. It was, at the time, one of Google's biggest initiatives. So when I joined the team, the team was had been working on it for about a year or, or so, but was still in stealth mode, right? So it was in this, it was, you know, everyone, a lot of people within the company knew it was happening and there were rumors here and there, but, but it was still mostly in stealth form and it was becoming this fairly large, large team. Now, around that time, I was actually switched to product management. I'd been a product manager on what was then Google Checkout, now Google Pay. And I, I was based in New York. And for personal reasons, I, I needed to move back to California. So I was looking for, uh, for for a new job, and I knew they were looking for a, a product manager for Google Plus games uh, because you know when when this went out, the logic was, hey, we need games on this platform. It's a large part of what drives engagement on Facebook at the time. And again, this is flashback, you know, almost nine years. So a lot of this was desktop games, Zynga, and was sort of one of the hottest companies around, etc. So I, I ended up taking the job uh, because I was looking for this thing in California. I had some experience with game developers because I was spending a lot of time there with the digital payments as part of my checkout job. Uh, and so this seemed like a great fit, seemed like an exciting opportunity at the time to join something that was you know, still, still in stealth mode, still hadn't come out yet. And the idea was you know, Google Plus would launch and 
we thought, you know, a few months later, we, we had like a window to launch uh, Google Plus game. Gotcha. Was games the first service that was built on Google Plus or were there other ones that you guys are working on too in parallel? No. So at the time, so, so there was, the way it rolled out was, it, wow, it's been a while, so it's kind of fuzzy, but, but essentially you think of it as, you know, a feed rolled out first. That was the first thing that, that went out. So you could add your friends, see what they were saying, uh, share pictures. So the feed was the first thing that rolled out and rolled on, rolled across, you know, it was, there was a mobile app, uh, there was uh, a desktop experience and uh, the, and the, the games product sort of rolled up a little bit later. Uh, and the game product at the time was, you know, think of this as desktop games powered by the social graph. So it was games from, you know, uh, we had Angry Birds and, and Zynga had a few different games and Playdom, which was, you know, a Disney company had a few different games. And the idea was, you know, have this gaming sort of hub uh, where people would come and, you know, ideally, you know, play games, come back and ideally play with their friends and invite their friends. Uh, that was the basic idea. Gotcha. Yeah, I was wondering if you could describe games a little bit more, how it compared to Facebook's offering. The best way to describe it was exactly like Facebook's offering. <laughs> so I think, I think the idea was, it was very much, the idea was you wanted to play with your friends, right? So, so one of the things, so, so to be fair, I, I to distinguish it, the idea was, it was very similar, you know, a bunch of casual games. So a bunch of, you know, sort of, there was a poker game, there was very much the Farmwell, we literally had Farmwell on the platform, a few different variants of games like that. There were, there were some really interesting indie games where you know, these were like little puzzle games or, or a leaderboard-based game. And so I think when, when we launched, we had about 11 or 12 games from, again, this curated set of developers, and we continued to add games after that. And again, think of these as you know, very casual desktop games uh, that you sort of play today, like Candy Crush, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the idea was, you know, you'd play with your friends, you'd see how they're doing. So we, we added a lot of leaderboard mechanics and things of that sort as well. And, and to clarify, like, so building the product in this case was a few different things. It was building a games hub, so essentially a store for all the games. It was, you know, thinking about the APIs that you exposed to game developers that were going to build these games. So, you know, what does the privacy look like? What, what access do they have? And it was sort of building the game mechanics and the notification mechanics so that, you know, when someone added you as a friend, you know, where in Google Plus would you get the notifications, et cetera. So it was, it was a few different things. Um, it was also like, you know, thinking about how to post a large part of the game mechanic at the time was, you know, you would post something saying, hey, help me out and get to the next, you know, challenge over here. And it was figuring out where all that goes, right? So the job was very much thinking about what the game's platform was for, for developers. Uh, it was thinking about what the consumer experience would be like and what the viral loops and the game mechanics were like. So that was that was roughly the, what I was thinking about. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, were you the first, the, the lead PM who got it launched? I was, yeah. So I, 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 I uh, at the time, uh, yeah, I, the, the, some work on it started, but but I was the I was the first PM on it. I, I got it. Gotcha. Makes sense. And what were the main things you had to think through as you launched games? I started it as a very conventional PM job, which is you thought about uh, what is the consumer experience right? What is the developer experience like? You know, are people so so very much? You know, do we have something that a makes people feel good? Is it a, is it a great gaming platform? Are people finding the games that they like? Are we are they enjoying the game dynamics or they're coming back? So I'd say initially I really thought about almost completely focused on a the user experience. You know, what, what do people, what is the experience that they have when they come? Uh, do they enjoy, do they, are they able to add their friends easily enough? Are they able to find new people to play with? Are the right games on the platform? Do we have the right mix of, of content for people that are interested in different kinds of things? So I really focused on the user experience. You know, as we started rolling out the platform, as we got more feedback from developers, we thought more about the developer experience as well, right? Like, do, do the right APIs exist? Do the right permissions exist? How do you balance this need that developers have? You know, at the time, like, like we had this hilarious thing where Zynga was like, no, 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 we, we, we need to spam people. And we had, I was like, no, you can't do that. You realize that, right? And there was this tension between, you know, they understood that if they overdid it, they would destroy the platform, but, but their instincts were, oh, we need to find a way to acquire users. And so a large part of what, you know, I was doing was thinking about 
this balance between consumer experience and developer incentives. We also started to think about monetization because you know uh, a large part of making it the platform succeed for, for developers isn't just users, it was also like is monetization working for them. So that was, I'd say like that was a sequence initially, which is we thought about you know, the, the consumer experience, the developer experience, and what the ecosystem uh, looked like uh, just in, in games overall. I feel like when it comes to building out the content for a games platform, that's where your partnerships mm-hmm. background probably came in, come in handy. So I wonder if you can maybe speak mm-hmm. a little bit more around that and how you chose to prioritize certain types of games and certain partners over others. Yeah, I, I mean, initially, our, our, our we went in with the idea that we wanted wanted a very curated platform, right? So, so a strategic strategic decision up front was, hey, let's not open up the platform entirely. We knew we we eventually wanted to get there, but the idea was to start with let's make sure we have only high quality. So we ended up taking um, we we ended up having a bunch of sort of you know um, top flight developers. So you know we, we had Rovio, Angry Birds was huge at the time. Zynga, Playdom, which is owned by Disney. So we had like the top tier developers. A conscious decision we made up front was uh, indie developers make different games. And so we were we were very conscious early on with the partnerships team about, can we have a mix of developers, right? Can you reach out to people that we think are top indie developers? And the idea was that mix was super helpful in, in sort of creating the right kinds of sort of content uh, on the platform. And we were very conscious about the games that, you know, we wanted to add. Uh, for example, like like we, we talked to all our partners about it, right? So what's the next game you want to add to, to Google Plus? And, you know, if we could kind of see it was very similar to a game that was already there or that we already had in the platform, we had early discussion. You know, we flagged like, look, there's too many of, you know, these kinds of games. So for example, like I, I think we, we probably ended up with too many Farmville-like games at some point, or, or it looked like we were going to end up with too many, and so we said, "All right, let's you know, let's let's actively sort of seek other kinds of games." So we we ended up like sort of sourcing more puzzle-like games for a bit. Makes sense. When you guys came up with your partnership strategy, I was wondering how you compared it to Facebook's partnership strategy. Was there a lot of overlap, or did you guys um, purposefully choose to have different creators? I think once you decide, I think the big difference is, you know, I think this is, you know, the, the contrast between open and a closed system, which is to start with, you know, if you have this idea, we sort of, at least my recollection, I, I think early on, I don't remember how Facebook rolled out, rolled out games, but, but by the time we, you know, we were there, it was an open system. So anyone could build a game. Uh, I think the big decision we made was uh, let's start with a closed system, which meant, which was important for us at the time because uh, it was our only way to ensure, you know, good behavior while the platform was maturing, right? So I think that's something to keep in mind, which is when you still haven't put, you know, all the spam systems in place, when you can't anticipate all the kinds of bad behaviors that might happen, uh, it's reasonable to start with a small set of people that, you know, if things go wrong, you can, you know whom to call and how to shut down and you have a reasonable handle on what's happening uh, with all the developers. So once we made this decision of okay, let's let's you know start small, put in safeguards, see see how the system is working, and then add partners. The question was, you know, who are the best developers to have? And so really, we we sort of reached out to what looked like the most successful gamers out there, or game gaming companies out there. And so you know, we reached out. I'd say the partnership strategy was simple, and that we we had an amazing partnership uh, team that sort of you know understood the industry well. So we sat down, scoped out different players understood not just it, it wasn't important just you know that their games were good but also that they had the right expectations going in right because at the end of the day it's a new platform it's going to grow slowly it's you know they needed to be in it for the long run right and they needed to sort of figure out monetization in the right place so that was sort of going in we knew um so so you know we we started the list of developers and sort of after early conversations figure out okay these are the ones that make sense to prioritize these are the ones that we want to wait on Makes sense. I wonder if we could dive into the decision to make it a closed system a little more. Was that a tough one or was that one that you guys instinctively wanted to gravitate towards? Yeah, I think we made that very early. And I think it's it's a hard one, right? Because I think typically, you know, Google's instincts are to keep everything open, right? So most people on the team are like, hey, you know, how how will you know, um, you know, how will you find that? that great game uh, if you don't have the system that's open and a chance to, for someone to like make it and put it on the platform. Um, 
But I think we decided that at the time, um, what was, we, we knew that our platform was still maturing. We knew users, like all our systems, right? Like, so if we had, you know, uh, for whatever reason, let's say a thousand games showed up tomorrow. We knew that we, you know, our, our, our direct, like our games directory would not know how, which was a good game or a bad game, right? Like we were still building that stuff. The, the risks of having an open system were way too high. And we know, we knew that the best way to ensure like a good user experience, right? There weren't too many bad games was to do this close thing. Um, the idea was always, you know, as, as the system matures, as people get used to it, um, build a more sort of open platform. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when you first launch for such a large bet, you want to make sure the quality is good so that people actually come back and use it and that there's buzz that's generated that drives more usage. Exactly. I, I think, you know, early on, it was very important for us to just have the experience mattered more than anything else, right? So, and we didn't think the value early on of having this open system uh, uh, was that high. Was that, was, because, you know, to your point, Google's, you know, known for having more of an open collaboration system in place. Was that a tough decision to align mm -hmm. as a group? Um, no, I think by the time, like everyone, you sort of laid out the pros and cons, right? So I think like, like any decision you lay out, like here's, here's the pros of doing this, here's the cons. I think the cons were, the only way we could have done that is, is you know, delayed. We'd have to build many, many more things. Uh, uh, or, or different things would have to be in place if we were going to roll out an open strategy, which means that, you know, I think we'd have anywhere from six months to a year, right, would have been uh, how long we'd have to wait. And we didn't think that was worth it. Uh, and so I think once you lay the pros and cons, it was fairly even people that, you know, that sort of were very strong, had very strong opinions about, you know, uh, open platforms. And you're like, all right, you know, it's, we have to, we have to get there versus assuming we're open. I, I forget who said it, but, you know, there's, like APIs are the best BD. So if you have open APIs, like, you know, you can, you can build things and like, you can sort of have partnership discussions once the product is built, once you see how people are using it. Um, but I think that sort of assumes that you have a good API system, you have a good platform, you understand, like you're built for scale. And you can build that way, but I think, you know, it just takes longer and different things need to be in place. Uh, so one of the things, um, I, I, I think that call, I think most of us sort of feel like, you know, was, was the right way to do it. Um, and, you know, our, our intention was always, you know, as, you know, launch this, uh, build everything in place uh, and, you know, make it open as fast as possible. And we actively work towards that. Gotcha. That makes sense. So first you guys align with the decision to make it a closed system. And then afterwards you work with the partner tips team to find the right you know, high quality creators to help build that content. I was wondering if you could speak more right. to the collaboration you had with the partnerships team. How involved were you in vetting those partners and working with them? Uh, pretty involved. Like I, I, I mean, I think one of the great things about, about that team was all the functions talk to each other like a lot, almost every day. Uh, so we had the luxury of all sort of being uh, at the time in, in the same location. So we'd essentially have standups almost every other day. We all knew each other pretty well. And so, you know, we, we were, we were sort of in the thick of things. I was, I was very, very much involved uh, in terms of, you know, thinking about what kinds of games we wanted, you know, which, which partners were easier to work with, especially once we started working with them. We had a sense of, you know, what partners wanted on the platform and, you know, who, who would be more patient, who would be more impatient. What sort of uh, restrictions would they have? Which were who were you know technically more savvy and likely to move fast or slower? It was a very close relationship with with the partnerships and the developer relations team. Can you describe the usage of the platform? Did it live up to expectations? Yeah, in some ways, you know, it exceeded expectations, right? Which is, and this is one of the things as a PM you think about. You know, the way you generally think about your product is it growing? Is it growing at the right pace? Are people happy with it? And by those dimensions, you know, we were at least from a sort of raw usage of the platform perspective, we're doing really, really well, right? So, so in terms of usage of the Google Plus platform, it was actually like on, on desktop, which is the stat that we had, it was actually a, a really high percentage of users. And it was a significant percentage of time spent. So it was, you know, it was a, as a team and a, a platform, we probably 
exceeded expectations by those metrics, which is how many people are coming and how often are they coming. The decisions seemed mostly to work out. Though it is, you know, it's one of these sort of, uh, there's a trade-off, right? So the more games you add, the more likely it is that, you know, there will be fewer users on each individual game. Uh, And so that was a balance, right? So you had to sort of balance out enough fresh, fresh sort of games and inventory with, you know, if you add something new, uh, people, if they hadn't cycled out, like might cycle out the game early and, and, you know, what is that? But overall, like, I, I think we we sort of, we struck the pace reasonably well. Like, it, it's impossible to know if, you know, we could have done something that was, you know, slightly more optimal. But overall, right, given the constraints we had, we actually thought we, we managed that pretty well. Can you describe how users felt about the product? The, the user reaction was really, really strong, right? Like, I'd say right from, from day one, people liked what they saw. Like, like the, we changed the dynamics of the platform enough that, you know, people that, that flocked to it really liked it. And they sort of build, and this is the thing with any product that you build, people form their own community, like they, they form certain norms. And so you had this really great set of users that loved all the games, loved interactions, loved sort of the, the dynamic they had over there, right? So it's towards the end when, you know, sort of when we started, like when we announced this to shut down the product, there was, we, we got all these emails about, you know, people saying, oh, you know, I, I, I made so many friends over here. One person talked about how they met their fiance and sort of they were playing this game and that's how they met. And, you know, they ended up connecting and getting married. So you had all these incredible stories of people just forming friendships and forming these really tight relationships, which, you know, was sort of the goal of any social network of Google Plus at the time, you know, forming these tighter, tighter connections. Uh, so, you know, people, people love the platform. Developers early on sort of liked the dynamics that we had. So overall, like I'd say early on, uh, people, people like the platform quite a bit. You know, we, we heard that users in many ways love the product. Uh, developers love the product. Yeah. But, you know, what was the path to revenue? So revenue on, so, so we, you know, sort of um, like any, any other sort of, there were digital goods that you could buy on there. And we took a percentage of, of that revenue. And in fact, like, you know, we, we, the rev, like people were buying a lot of stuff, like a lot of digital goods on the platform. Uh, and so the revenue potential was actually pretty, pretty solid. And so, yeah, you know, based, if, if we'd kept it going, there was, you know, a significant amount of revenue at, at the time that was coming through the platform uh, that we said no to. So things were going really well with the, and the momentum was high, but you eventually made a decision to shut it down, correct? That's right. This is one of those really odd things, right? Which is by any sort of yardstick, right? Which is, hey, in terms of the number of people using the product, in terms of growth, like the thing thing was actually going pretty well. So why why would you shut it down? So I think I, I think there is there's a few lessons to sort of take away from it, right? And and I do wish I do wish I'd got there faster. So let me walk through a couple of things. So the, the short answer was two things were happening, right? One is developers were getting impatient, right? Which is, they're like, oh, you know, we definitely see users come growing, but we, we, you're being a little conservative in sort of viral factor, right? So we, we weren't pushing as much, you know, we were relatively conservative with the amount of notifications we sent people. We were relatively conservative in how much, you know, gaming posts you saw on your feed. Which meant, by the way, like, you know, fewer people like dropped into the game from time to time, you know, uh, the, the viral factor was, was lower than they were used to seeing on Facebook. And so that was one thing, you know, developers would be like, would, 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 we're naturally asking us to push and be more aggressive. But that was not what the Google Plus platform wanted to be at the time, right? They said, oh, you know, it's, there's a risk that if we do too much of this, gaming posts will take over the platform. And that's not something we want to do. So it meant we had to be a little more creative in, in how we brought people back into the game. So, so the first part was, you know, developers were getting impatient. And where the other thing is, you know, sort of having this notion of, you know, what is the problem you're really trying to solve, right? So one way of looking at my job at the time was, oh, you know, I'm, and I think that's the way I saw my job early on, which was I'm going to make games on uh, Google Plus successful. And I felt like I was doing that part. Another way of looking at my job, which was, you know, probably the way I should have been thinking about it is what is the bigger picture, right, over here? It's not just, you know, making users and developers and, and driving usage over here. It's figuring out how games actually fit into Google Plus 
and how does it serve that entire strategy, right? So it's not just the product is successful, but how does the product itself fit into the strategy of, you know, in this case, the bigger product or the, the strategy of the company. Uh, over here, even though this was being successful, there was a risk that it would hurt the overall product, right? Because two things were happening. One is if we turned on the lever, you'd have more sort of, basically the product would not be what, what most people wanted Google Plus to be, which is relatively, you know, a constrained set of things, more higher quality posts in, in the field. The second was, there was a strategy aspect, which is, Developers, you know, if you build on a platform and you see users, you, you get a pretty good sense of, you know, how large is the platform, how many people are using it, how active are the users, right? It's very natural that developers would start seeing some of that. And at the time, that was that was not something that you know uh, the, the leadership team was was excited about, right? This notion of no, we we sort of don't want to tell people how many users we have. We just want to say we're growing, and over time we'll we'll release the right number. But except now. You know, you had a bunch of developers that had that number. And, you know, here was, I was coming in saying, hey, it's time to open up the platform or, or let more people in, uh, which means even more people would know. And so there was this natural tension between, you know, what is the, uh, so the first, I'd say there are a few different things, but the first big thing was there was this natural tension between the goal of the product itself, but how it fit into something bigger, right? And and I think that was the thing that, you know, I, I wish I'd known, I'd thought about earlier and thought if there were ways to fit that in. The second part was it also became clear what the future was. So around the time we were building, you know, the desktop platform, uh, we were also building what we thought would be the mobile equivalent of this, right? Which was we focused on services for developers, uh, a leaderboard API, uh, ways for them to save game state, etc. And we we had essentially a uh, a directory for games and and for matching with people, etc. And as we were building it, you know, it, it became clear this was the future, right? So it was it was clear that this was where we wanted to spend more time and energy uh, going forward. And so uh, this is what you know today exists as Google Play Games. And and even as we were building it, you know, we we were asked like, hey, what are you going to call this thing? And we said, oh, you know, you've got to call it Play Games. It's the equivalent of Game Center uh, on Android. And they're like, oh, great, you know, that that makes sense. Um, it probably belongs in you know the Android team if if that's the case. But you know it was clearly where our energy needed to be. And so the second thing was we sort of realized even though this was going well and you know it was growing, it wasn't the future, right? Like everyone by then you know it was pretty clear that mobile was going to be the future and, and desktop was fine, but this is where we should put more energy because that's where the growth was going to be. Um, and so you had these two. Uh, two fairly big things, right? Which is understanding how it fits into the overall picture, where we think you know it, it actually hurt the thing overall. And the second is sort of looking in the future. We really wanted to focus on mobile, put most of the team's energy there, adapt the product a little bit for mobile. Uh, which suddenly meant like all the things that you know we we had held like weren't they weren't as important. Um, and so the logical thing. You know, once you sat, like I wish the decision had been that easy. Like I, I, I described it a lot more clinically now. But at the time, like it was when you look at these two things, you go like, yeah, you know, you have to shut down this thing to work on the other thing. But yeah, that's that's those are the two main reasons we decided to shut down sort of the platform. Gotcha. And how did you come to those two conclusions? Um, like, what type of data analysis did you do that led you to say, you know what, this is hurting the overall Google Plus strategy? So I think this is one of the things where, where you know, one one lesson for for product managers is sort of taking ownership of the decision early on, right? Like I think naturally all of us get pretty invested in the products we build. And again, like this was, you know, I was at the time, you know, two two and a half years in my PM career. So you know, I was very naturally attached to the thing that you know, me and my team and everyone around that I that I loved working with had built. Uh, but you sort of have to take ownership of that decision, right? Which is in, in you know in subsequent PM jobs, when I've been offered the job, like the person's made clear to me uh, very often, like, hey, you know, you have to come in and figure out and w whether this thing makes sense. And there's a 50% chance you come back a year from now and tell us, no, this thing doesn't make sense. You've got to shut it down. And so I think you know the way we figured it out was really sort of in in our case, it became obvious as you had these conversations that was hurting the overall strategy. But I think instead of jumping to okay so maybe we need to like ramp this down or adjust strategy or like i think your default is oh you should you should think about changing the overall strategy to make it fit my level of thing and you know you, you sort of do that you do these mental gymnastics in your head 
you try and convince people that, oh, maybe this is a more important part of your overall strategy. But, you know, I think once it, it, it was very hard to predict it going in, or maybe like, you know, if you, if you, if you start down to game it out, you could have, but once both things, once the scale of both things became clear, it became pretty clear that, you know, this was, it was going to be hard to sustain both things uh, in the current strategy. Gotcha. Did you consider other options besides shutting it down? We did. We thought a lot about, um, you know, okay, can we, can we sort of keep it in maintenance mode for a long time? In fact, people begged us, right? So, so once we announced the decision and, and, you know, we kept, we kept the platform on for a while, we gave people time, et cetera. So, so a reasonable, I'd say the only sort of, the other option was, um, I think the options of like going big and, and trying to make it bigger in some way were, were, were not realistic options. One option was, you know, keep it in maintenance mode, which is, you know, something a lot of people do. The challenge there was, you know, I think two things happened. One is we didn't think it was good for the team. We didn't think it was good for our users in the long term because it essentially meant we wouldn't continue to invest in the platform. Uh, it would also mean that, you know, if we weren't investing, developers wouldn't invest either and the games would just get worse over time. And so I think like having, having clarity once you make the decision that this is not an area of investment is really important. And so, you know, stating that, stating that early, stating that to, to all your constituents, in this case, you know, users, developers, internal stakeholders that we work with was actually super important. That makes sense. And so it sounds like you internally made the decision, announced it, got pushback and felt like you had to maybe reevaluate that decision, but ended up doubling down on the decision afterwards. I think sort of, right? I'd say the main thing was, you know, at the time it was, the decision came fairly suddenly in, in some ways, right? Which is, but it was fairly obvious when you looked at it, right? So we had these inflection points about, hey, we needed to grow, we needed to add game. But you said, right, this, this doesn't make sense with the overall strategy. And so it was really once you, you had enough of these collision points where you said, where we saw this, where we said logically, oh, the decision, like it doesn't make sense. Like these two words cannot fit anymore. And by the way, like you want to move even more people to this new mobile thing, which means you'll have fewer people focused on this thing. So I think those two things got you to that decision like pretty quickly. I think once you got there, the question was, I think because we sort of framed it in that way, it was very little, once we got there, there was very little debating. Like we definitely considered the option and we, we sort of figured out very quickly that it wasn't a realistic option. So, so I'd say like in one conversation, you know, we had the discussion of, hey, can we keep this in maintenance mode? And, and very quickly we said, no, it doesn't make sense. I think then the question was, you know, sort of once you make one of these decisions, it's communicating it out, making sure it's communicated the right way to all your constituents and sort of going from there, which I think we did as well. Gotcha. Makes sense. What was the hardest part of making that decision and what were the consequences of getting it wrong or right? I think the hardest part was sort of having, so there's the emotional toll, right? Which is, which is, I think you work for, you know, a long time with people that are very attached to the thing, that have built the thing. And so one of the things I definitely, I wish I'd done differently was really take ownership of the decision earlier on. You know that the people that build the thing, the engineers that worked on it, the partnerships people that worked on it are going to be unhappy, right? Because it's, you know, it's a labor of love at the end of the day. Uh, you know, you, you spend time on it, you care about it, you know the system well, you, you see how people are reacting to it. I think as, as leaders and product managers, I think you have to show this you have to own the decision and explain why it's the right decision constantly, right? Make sure everyone is on board. And I think it, it didn't, uh, because I myself was sort of in, in the camp of like, oh wait, this is the thing I built and we're shutting it down now. I, shouldn't I feel bad? It took me a little while to say like, no, actually like I need to inspire everyone or, or maybe not inspire, but at least get everyone on the right, on the same page that like, no, this is the right thing to do. And so we need to do this as well as we can. I think that was the hardest part, right? Which is getting to the point of like, hey, this thing that we worked on is not going to exist. And we need to now shut it down in the way that's sort of best for the people that invest in it. And so that, that, that sort of maintaining that sense of optimism and positivity is the hard part. And so it's not so much the decision, it's, it's the execution of the decision afterwards that's really, really hard. I think the hard, hardest part of the decision itself is just sort of being dispassionate enough to make it. Well, without letting your emotions get there, which again, like I think now we've, I've been, I've done the job long enough that, it, that it's easier, but at the time, like, you know, it, 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 and I still think like, you know, people are naturally emotionally connected to the thing that they worked on. 
and you need to have the sort of objective thinking of like, nope, this, this, you know, we're serving people, we're serving strategy, we're serving the company. It's not this individual thing that that we're serving. Makes sense. And you know, you're talking about making the decision dispassionately. I was wondering what type of analyses did you do, or what type of data did you look at before you came to that conclusion? I think the, the main thing is sort of. I'd say like writing pros and cons, right? And I think this applies to most product decisions, but people tend to not be as disciplined. Like I think if you, you know, if we sat down and and you know, once you sat, once you sit down and say like, okay, what are all our options and what are the pros and cons of each? I think if you do that job well, like it, it becomes pretty obvious what the right thing to do is, right? You write the pros and cons, you say like, okay, this is if this happens, this will happen, this is a risk, here's the way you can mitigate that risk. So once you lay that out, it becomes pretty clear what to do. I'd say like, like, so in this case, like, you know, the data was, you know, okay, how many users, how quickly can we transition them? What are the implications if there's a PR issue? You write all that down, right? So, and, and so in this case, the data was what do partners think, right? So, so we surveyed partners, we had informal conversations with them, like, hey, how do you feel about the platform? You know, how important is it in over your overall strategy right now? So we went through all of that. And, you know, we sort of like, once you lay out those options, like that's the easiest way to, to sort of uh, make the decision. And to me, that's like, that's the key of making any sort of good decision, which is being extremely methodical in laying out all your options and, and you know, having the pros and cons listed. And then, you know, you, you can sort of, you remove your, your natural biases from the decision, right? Like you don't do the thing that you are naturally drawn to or are, are best at or have this original idea that, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, I think laying out the options let, lets you sort of think dispassionately and get to the right answer. Gotcha. So you mentioned you know, that the decision dragged on a little bit longer than you had anticipated. I was wondering mm-hmm. how long it took to make the decision. Because it sounds like you're saying once you looked at the data, it was, there was a clear answer. It took, honestly, it, it took a few months, right? Like it took a couple of months, right? Because I, I, I think it, there wasn't a, it's, it, because we didn't ask the question directly. But I think once we asked the question directly, it became pretty clear. But but I you know looking back, I wish we just asked the question sooner. So I think there were there were a few flashpoints, right? So there, there was a flashpoint before, which is you know I I wanted to add more partners, but you know there, there was no way I was going to without you know making more developers aware of you know the dynamics in the platform or like diluting usage of the current games. And so you know. We're like, okay, we can't do this over here. So, so we sort of hit this natural inflection points, uh, decision points on a few different things, which got us to the obvious question, right? And so it took a couple of months for us to get to that question, which is, okay, what do we do now? I, I wish instead, you know, I, I and it, this is really hard, which is proactively I said, like, okay, this is the number of people we have. This is what's happening. It looks like you're not going to let us add more games because of this reason. So this is what we do. And I think this this notion of Re-examining your your assumptions at every single point, because again, you know, as as a product, you sort of assume your goal is to grow, and your goal is to add users. And you know, the way I the way I saw it, and the way the team saw it at the time was, hey, there are things happening around us that are not letting us do that. We need to go fix those things. But I think like stepping back and saying, you know, where do you lie overall in your company strategy? What are the right like? Are we are you asking is is the right thing for you to grow? And in this case, the answer was. It's not clear. And so once we got that, like I, I, I think the decision itself was, you know, once we asked the right question, the decision was pretty quick, which is, you know, once you lay it out, like, oh yeah, you should probably plan to shut down. The only question then is, you know, how and, and how do you execute it? But once we asked the question, the decision was quick, but I think we should have probably asked the question, you know, two months earlier. Yeah, when you're the person who's launched it, it's tough for your first thought to be about shutting it down. Yeah, you know, and it was, you know, everyone, like everyone that sort of made the decision to shut it down was, you know, was everyone that's, that, that essentially me, the engineering lead, you know, we were all, we were all in, you know, in sort of the war room launching it and we, we sort of made the decision to shut it down. And so, yeah, that was definitely hard. How hard, I guess, you know, if you don't want me asking, how, how was that, like those set of discussions? Because it sounds like you did the data analysis. Once you asked the right questions, you came to a clear conclusion, but then you have to convince the teams of that decision. So I guess first question is who was involved in making the decision and then how did you convince teams accordingly and get them to buy in? So, yeah, the, the, by the time we made it, and again, we, we should have made it sooner. By the time we sort of made the decision, it became, 
like so so this was a sort of decision you know you 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 need to run past you know senior leadership and so by the time we we got to asking the question everyone was like yeah thank god you guys you guys should definitely shut this down which was which is probably a bug right so so the part that i should have done a little bit differently was you know if i if i proactively asked that you know a month earlier i think they would have been like oh yeah this is you know this is this is good so i think like internally it was it was the leadership questions were were easier right like i think when when they saw the recommendation and have shut it down they're like yep you know thank you for doing this we're we're glad you're doing this it makes a ton of sense uh we're glad you're sort of driving but i think for the team it definitely like i think the main thing is explaining it right like i i think and there were a lot of people in the team who weren't happy with the decision even as and they stayed on the team they went on to work on the mobile part of the product but they still disagreed with with the main decision but i think that they cared about enough other things in the people that they still were like okay that's fine you know we we get it well we may not agree with you but we understand the important part is they understand the logic and think right which is i think that's the most important thing which is you explain what you're doing why you're doing it you be, you're very transparent with your rationale but yeah it was still hard right like i i i the meetings where we talked about it and it wasn't just one it was a sequence of them was they weren't easy meetings and, and you know mo- by the time like most people like the team itself was fairly sort of close right so it wasn't like you know people were physically or demonstrably physically upset but you know you could see they were disappointed you could see they were hurt later on one ones many of them would you know sort of in smaller groups they'd tell you why how much it mattered to them etc but yeah so i'd say that that was that was the hardest part yeah that, that that's definitely tough i mean in as you mentioned earlier it's a labor of love and when the thing you worked on for so long ends up having to you know be shut down it's not an easy thing to take so makes sense yeah and then so you're talking about you know it sounds like senior leadership bought into the decision the team you know was mm-hmm. It's definitely tough, but they they understood the rationale. How tough were the partnership conversations, and what went into winding them down? They were. Uh, it was there was a variance, right? So I think some some all of them were upset, but you know some it, it really depended on the partner, right? So so especially the smaller ones for whom you know it had become a significant part, like a significant part of their revenue stream. They were like, oh, you know, this is this is. this is great like we we're, we're not thrilled about this we invested so much in this we expected more etc cetera, etc cetera. and they were right in all of those counts i think the way you sort of defray that is you you tell them uh, and so one of the things we did is you know we didn't we didn't make the decision shut it down right away like i think there was i think we i can't remember but i feel like there was at least like a 6 month sort of like hey we're going to shut down in 6 months so let people plan and let people transition their users to other other platforms so so we let them do that But you know there was a range some were fairly dispassionate about it they're like okay you know we sort of understand your rationale we'll you know we'll we'll make our plans how much how long do we have how do we do it etc others were were a lot more upset because they felt like you know they invested in it they wanted more from it etc so there's a range there's a range of partner reactions yeah and it wasn't even you know a small company big company thing it was just a lot of like some 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 partners you know sort of approach it one way others approach it the other way Gotcha. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys, the partnerships team talked to the same group um, when it came to launching the Google Play Store. I was wondering, mm-hmm. you know, how did those go? And were you able to keep a lot of the partners who may have been upset for with this decision into the next one? Yeah, almost all of them. Uh, when, so the, the mobile product wasn't, ex- wasn't exactly the same. So, so not everyone, everyone would have, but almost everyone that had a mobile presence was, they sort of understood that the rationale right so they they understood that the rules on mobile were different and so so they were fairly like everyone everyone that we worked with uh, we partnered with on the mobile mobile product as well you know and i think the fact that we were being transparent and telling them early on and giving them visibility into what we're doing was i think it, it sort of built trust right so even if they disagreed again i think this sort of comes back to like even if they disagree like you don't see eye to eye like i think being being straightforward and, and transparent meant that you know they understood our assumptions you know even if they were you know once bitten they sort of said like all right we understand what they were doing we're going to follow up with them and you know we we we're going to invest in this other thing and you know like let's see how it goes at least you know these guys told us told us what to, to, you know gave it gave it to us straight when uh, when they were working on something gotcha makes sense 
And so, you know, you made the decision, you communicated the decision. What happened afterwards? And know, what's the current state? I'm assuming, because I think Google Plus Consumer is done. And I'm assuming yeah. it's been, you know, shut down now fully. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was exactly right, which is, I think, within, we, we announced the shutting down of the product uh, within six months or so, we shut it down. We, we did all the customer support things. So, you know, we let people take their state into different different uh, platforms of the, where, where the same game exists on multiple platforms. The team essentially moved over to work on uh, the Google Play Games platform. And, you know, that product is, you know, exists, is doing well, is, is, a, is an important part of the Android ecosystem. Just early on, you discussed, you described how Facebook was, you know, kind of one of the impetus for actually starting Google Plus and one of the reasons why you launched games. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how, how much you thought of Facebook as a factor in your decisions later to shut it down. I don't think we thought much about Facebook as a, as, as a reason to shut it down. I'd say the decision to even have games on Google Plus was like, oh, what are the things people are doing on social networks? We should probably have games on ours. Like, like it feels like that's required. But I think when it came time to shut it down, we, we were much more internally focused. It was all about, okay, what, what does it mean going forward for us to invest in it? What are the opportunity costs of that? And, you know, yeah, it was very, so, so I think with shut, the shutdown, I don't think we looked at, you know, sort of other platforms as, as a decision, as a decision uh, point. What advice do you have for product teams based on this experience? When you work on something and you sort of spend time, energy, you, you sort of put it out in the world you sort of assume it's your job to take care of it and grow it and make it as successful as possible. But, you know, products aren't, aren't people, right? The most responsible thing you can do is actually make the call to shut it down and make the call at the right time. I think Steve Jobs has this great quote about how he's not attached. Like, I think there's this video of his that I saw where he, where he talked about how he's not attached to the technology he builds because he kind of, kind of sees this as, you know, uh, layers on top of sand, right? Like, I think the point he made was, you know, in 25 years, almost everything we're working on will be redundant in technology. Like it's not art. It's not something that we put on a pedestal and sort of look at forever. So it's important to have that perspective. So I do think it's the responsibility of the team to to sometimes just take ownership and say like, no, no, like maybe the reason we're struggling so hard to keep this alive is that this shouldn't exist. And I, I think that decision is particularly hard when when the thing is sort of working. Right? It's an easy decision when the thing is failed. You don't have to make the decision if you know everything is super successful and fits in with your strategy overall and everything's great. It's a hard call when when it's sort of in the middle. Uh, but I think that's sort of the, the thing that you know good teams and good PMs like need to make those calls, which is hey, it's time for this thing to not exist anymore. From this experience, you know, I was wondering if we could maybe distill it into some key lessons learned or decision making principles. Um, how did this experience help shape your own decision-making going forward? So I'd say there's three things, right? So the first is, is um, there's this great line about, you know, always defining the game you're playing. Right? So, and I think I, I'd refine that as, as a PM, what you do is, you know, you define for your team, this is the game we're playing. And then this is a metric that tells us, are we winning at this game or not? Um, and, and, you know, I thought I was doing that for Google Plus game, which was, you know, my overall sort of thing that I thought I was responsible for. But really, there was a bigger, it's always refining this to say, okay, how do you fit into the overall strategy? So in this case, you know, it wasn't sufficient that I grow the product, I, I sort of keep developers happy, I keep users happy. It was also saying, okay, how does this serve the overall Google Plus product? And, you know, in some ways, how does that serve Google overall, right? So thinking through what is not just your individual product metrics and your individual product strategy, but how it's often a part of a bigger, more complex strategy, you know, sort of. Uh, defining your game as broadly as possible, defining your 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 strategy as broadly as possible, and understanding these externalities is really important. So I'd say that's the first one, which is you know understand the overall strategy, understand the externalities, right? Like what are the PR impacts? What are the developer impacts? How does one thing affect the other? Uh, so to me, that was that was sort of the bigger thing. The second thing is you know I think most, and this is true of true of you know sort of most tech development is understand when something is the future and then really invest in that right so for us like it became probably one of the bigger reasons is you know we needed you know engineers are always in in you know limited supply right so once it became clear that you know we needed to build the mobile version of this we should have probably moved faster to build it right because it was very clear that you know that was where you know most people were moving that was where all the momentum was uh, and even though this was a growing profitable successful thing 
you should focus on the thing that's growing and, and, and sort of make sure you're there at the right time. Um, so the second thing is sort of understanding, understanding sort of tech trends and what has tailwinds and investing in that early uh, and sort of making that bet when, when you're convinced about it. And in this case, you know, we were convinced. And the third thing I'd say is like, you know, the thing I mentioned about taking ownership of the decision, of the hard decision, right? So if you know you're going to do something that's, you know, going to upset people, whether it's internal or external stakeholders, I think once you make the decision, you know, being extremely positive about it, communicating like, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. It's the right thing to do. And here's why you should be excited. So the analogy I always make now is, is some of the better engineers I work with are actually very excited about deleting code, right? Which is because they're like, oh, you know, this is the fact that we're deleting it is going to make everything better going forward. And I think having that positivity to saying like, you look, invest in it, but this thing needs to be shut down and it needs to be, or be sort of, and needs to be done the right way is, you know, you can be just as positive about that. And, and I find that, you know, how you position it internally makes a huge difference to the people that you work, with, you know, versus being like, oh man, it's kind of sucks that we were shut this down. I guess it didn't work versus, you know, hey, it's the right thing at this point to like shut this thing down. Let's make sure we do it well. Let's make sure we serve our users and then let's move on to the next thing. Uh, I think that positioning and that communication is super important, particularly if you're, you know, uh, a leader on the project or the product manager thing. Yeah, I'd say like, like that's super important. So to me, like, like those are the three main lessons I take away, which is, you know, understand the bigger picture, invest in the future. And so if something's, you know, clearly more important in the future than what we're working on now, don't hesitate to like leave this thing behind. And the third is, you know, just take ownership of execution once you make the decision and make sure that you bring everyone on board and have a certain amount of positivity uh, associated with it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Satyajit. Really appreciate having you on. This was fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd mean a lot if you can leave a review and share the podcast on social media. If you have ideas or feedback, feel free to find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Thanks for tuning in and until next time.